good afternoon and we give you all a warm welcome to our open air outreach on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We are a, a local congregation. We meet every Lord's Day, every Sunday at 2 to 4 Thornwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, opposite the police station, you will go up a hill and you'll first come to Thornwood Primary School and then you'll meet our building next door on the crossroads. And we do extend a warm welcome to you all to come along any Lord's Day, any Sunday at 11 a.m., or again at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting. We meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30. And again, we would extend a warm welcome, a warm and sincere welcome to you all to come along and hear something more uh, from God's Word. As I said, we are a local congregation. We're in Glasgow, and there are a number of people out on the street this afternoon handing out uh, gospel tracts. We would be very pleased if you would accept a tract. It may well be that you're not able to read it at the moment, but please put it in your pocket and take it home. And when you get some time, you can read it, and you will hear something or read something concerning the gospel, and our contact details are there. And we issue an invitation to you that if any one of you would like a copy of the Scriptures, maybe you don't have a Bible, then please make contact, and we will be happy to give you a copy of the Bible under no obligation. The only thing we ask is that you at least read it. Because today, friends, many people have uh, dismissed Christianity and its message now, why have they done this? I put it to you that most people have not examined uh, the claims of Christianity. I put it to you that most people have never picked up their Bibles and read it. Instead, they've let other people's opinions form their opinions. Now, that's a very dangerous thing to do. The Lord God Almighty has made us in His image, and we know that because of sin, that image is tarnished, it's soiled, it's not what it should be. But nevertheless, He has given us faculties, and one of the faculties He's given to us is to reason and to think unlike the animals. And therefore, we are to look at Christianity, look at its message, look at its claims, and we are not simply to dismiss it out of hand because someone else has said this to us. And that's why we would offer to you the opportunity to have a Bible that you might read, because Christianity is a Bible, of, is a religion of the book. And what we want to say to you this afternoon will be found in God's Word. And indeed, this is what makes the Bible uh, absolutely 
unique. It is God's Word. It's God's complete and perfect revelation that He has given to mankind, and therefore it is worthy of our attention. We are not simply to dismiss it out of hand. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the the Hebrews in the Bible. We find it in Hebrews chapter 1, that's in the New Testament. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, speak in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And there in these three verses, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Hebrew Christians, and he is reminding them about the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, we put it to you this afternoon, we're not ashamed to say it, but the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is the very sum and the substance of Christianity. And there is no Christianity without Christ. And the Apostle Paul is telling them that God in times past, that is in the Old Testament times, God spoke to His people. He gave them revelation in different ways and in different manners. But He spoke through the prophets. That's what we find in the Old Testament. And there, if you examine the Old Testament, and if you go to that particular part of the Old Testament that's concerned with the prophets, you will find that all of the prophets, without exception, they spoke of this person who was to come. And indeed, the whole of the Old Testament is in preparation for that glorious time when the Son of God would come down to this world and He would work out a salvation for us. And that is what the Old Testament is all about. It is about God preparing the world, if you might say, preparing a stage for that time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come, when the Son of God would take upon Himself our form and our nature, become like us, live in this world, go around teaching and preaching and performing miracles, validating His claims to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, and then ultimately He would suffer in Gethsemane where He sweated great drops of blood, and ultimately there on Calvary's cross when He offered up His life that once for all 
perfect sacrifice to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law that all of us have broken and only Christ, who being perfect, could keep that law. And this is what we find for us, revealed to us in the Scriptures. We are told, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. Here we are, friends, we're in the last days. The last days began when Jesus Christ came some 2,000 years ago. And we're still in these last days. But this is a time when the Lord Jesus Christ came and announced the gospel. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And now we're in that last days, these days of grace, when the gospel is, is to be continually proclaimed to all persons that all might have an opportunity to repent and to believe and to put their faith in the Son of God. And it says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. You know, the world was created by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the eternally begotten Son of God. That might surprise you. But that is what we find taught in the Word of God, that he is the Creator. All things were made by him, and for him. Oh, some people are shaking their heads at this, but this is reality, friends. This is reality. This is the truth. This is what we find in God's Word, and this is truth. Today we're surrounded by innuendo, propaganda, half-truths, errors, lies, but what we have in the Word of God is true, and it will stand the test of time. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And here we are, we might say, some 2,000 years since the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? His words are still as relevant today as they were some 2,000 years ago. None of our politicians can say that, friends. None of them, none of the movers and shakers of society today can say that. None of the great philosophers of this world can say that. But the Lord Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, was able to come down to this earth, and he was able to say with authority, without contradiction, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And it is His Word that we seek to proclaim to you this afternoon. Thank you, sir. God bless you. We tend to come out once a week. We tend to come here maybe uh, one week, and then next week we're at Partick Station. We're a local congregation, but we feel it's part of our, our privilege and indeed a duty to come out and to bring to your attention the work and the person and the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is the very sum and the very substance of biblical Christianity. And without Him, 
there is no Christianity. We could remind ourselves of what the Apostle Paul said. And maybe you need to be reminded about who the Apostle Paul was. He was once Saul of Tarsus. And he was once a Pharisee. What's that mean? Well, he was a deeply religious man. And he sought to obey the law of God as best as he could. And he did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he had no time for the church of Jesus. And he was out to destroy this church. And he had given permission and authority from the rulers in Jerusalem to go to Damascus. And there he was to round up the Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished and to be put into prison. And as he was on his way to Damascus, what happened to him? Well, you can read it in Acts chapter 9. But let me briefly tell you what happened. He was on his way to Damascus, and he sought indeed to persecute the Christians. But what happened? He had, en- he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw a great light, and he heard a voice. And what did that voice say to him? That voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Paul, or Saul as he was, was not, he thought, persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. But Jesus says to him, the Lord Jesus, the glorified and exalted Lord Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And there, Saul, who became Paul the Apostle, had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to him, No, that's not true, sir. That's not a very nice thing to say in public. Remember, there's children here, and they don't want to hear that kind of language. If you want to engage in some conversation or discussion or argument, that's fair enough. I'm not especially religious, although I have got more so as I've got older. But it does trouble me the amount of intolerance that there is. Mm -hmm. Really, really, and it's not just against Christians. It's uh, it's quite a lot of intolerance against Jews and it's uh, just against people of faith in general. Yes. I wish you well. Thank you, sir. Okay, God bless. Well, Paul, or Saul as he was, was converted. He was a changed man. What changed him? He met the Lord Jesus Christ. And he began to see that as he was persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ gave him a commission. Christ told him that he was going to go into the world, and he was going to be a messenger, and he was going to bring the Christian gospel to the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? We might not be familiar with that word. Well, the Gentiles are all the people who are not Jews. That is, Jews and Gentiles. And therefore, Saul, who became Paul, the apostle, was given this commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every person that he would come in contact with. And from that moment, when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was transformed, when he was converted, when he was changed, he never ceased to proclaim Christ. 
in all his fullness. And that's what we seek to do in a very small manner and measure this afternoon. We readily acknowledge we are not like the Apostle Paul. He had a direct commission from the great king and head of the church himself. But nevertheless, we seek to walk in the Apostle Paul's footsteps and we most certainly seek to proclaim the same gospel that the Apostle Paul proclaimed. And you know, he wrote this to young Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in a place called Ephesus in Asia Minor or in modern Turkey as it would be today. And Timothy was in the pastorate and he was having difficulties. But the Apostle Paul wrote a couple of letters to him. And in the first letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he reminds Timothy about the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, this is what he says. <coughs> this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There, friends, in a few words, in one verse, we have uh, a concise description of what the, the Christian gospel is all about. And we have to bring these things to your attention this afternoon because we acknowledge today there is widespread ignorance regarding what the Christian gospel is. I'm not out to embarrass anyone, but I put it to you that most of you passing by this afternoon would not be able to give me a description of what the Christian gospel is. You might say, well, it's for good people, or it's for church people, or it's for religious people. Well, that does not describe the Christian gospel at all. Here, the Apostle Paul describes it perfectly and adequately for us. This is a faithful saying. This is from the Word of God itself and worthy of all acceptation. This is what we are to accept. This is God's Word. This is not my Word. This is not the Word of my congregation or indeed my denomination that I belong to. This is God's Word. He puts His seal upon His own Word that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who is Christ Jesus? Well, Christ Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He is the second person in the Trinity. And that person came into this world. You know, He didn't come into existence when He came into this world. The Son of God is eternal. The Son of God is God Himself. But He became a man. There was a point in time and in history when the eternally begotten Son of God became a man just like you and I. And this involved the incarnation, a miraculous thing, an incredible event, when the Virgin Mary conceived the Son of God in her womb by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit. 
There something miraculous happened, something that we cannot possibly understand or explain. We must simply believe it. And we know it's true. How do we know it's true? We know it's true because when Jesus was on this earth, He lived a perfect life. Absolutely perfect. He never sinned at all. He's the only person who never sinned in this world. He could not sin. Why? Because he did not have a sinful nature. You see, we're all born with a sinful nature. We're all born with a sinful nature because of ordinary generation. We have come from our parents. But Jesus didn't come by ordinary generation. It was by extraordinary generation. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a miraculous operation of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing that He would be sinless, that He would not have inbelt, indwelt sin, that He would be free from sin completely. And that was evident by the life that He lived. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He came into this world. He was born in the normal manner. He lived for about 30 years in relative obscurity. There was nothing special really about His life. He lived in poverty. But there came a time when He engaged in His public ministry. And when he was baptized, what happened? The Father spoke. What did he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove upon him. And there we have a reference to the, the Christian Trinity. God the Father spoke. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Thank you, sir. And then the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove and rested upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on one occasion together in unison. And they were there to appoint the Lord Jesus Christ to take up His role as our great high priest and ultimately to lay down His life as a sacrifice for sinners. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now here is where it comes and affects every one of us here. He did not come into the world to save the righteous. Why not, you may well ask. Well, the answer to that is very, very easy. Because there are no righteous there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us, and we must take all our theology and all our teaching from the Word of God. What does the Bible tell us about our state? It says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what God has said in the Bible, 
regarding our state before him. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, friends, we have to conclude and we have to accept God's verdict upon your life and upon my life. And God calls us sinners. Now, that might not bother you. In fact, many people today gloat and delight in their sin. But sin is an extremely serious matter. It's certainly as serious as far as God is concerned. He will not tolerate sin at all. It is said of God in the Old Testament, in that short book called Habakkuk, in chapter 1, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. That is describing the holiness of God. He will not tolerate sin. It is offensive unto him. It is an affront, and therefore he must deal with it. And that's what he has done when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to this world on a mercy mission. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. We'll never appreciate what Jesus Christ has done will never appreciate him humbling himself and leaving heaven and coming to this world. We'll never appreciate what he did unless we first grasp and understand what we are by nature. We are sinners in the sight of a holy God. <coughs> but we must take heart. Why must we take heart? Well, we must take heart because God has done something about our greatest predicament. We have many needs, and no doubt we have many desires and wants, but we have one principal need that's above every need that we could possibly imagine. What is that need that I'm talking about? And what is that problem I'm seeking to highlight? Well, the problem, friends, with you and with me is our sin. It is our personal sin. And this, the problem is so great, it is so profound, it is so powerful that we cannot handle it ourselves. We try to handle it ourselves. Many religious people try to handle it. That's why we are awash with so many religions today. Even in our city here in Glasgow, we are surrounded by many, many religions. And we have to say honestly and sincerely and with respect that if they're not Christian, then they are false. Yes, that is true because we listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ has said. He himself did say to his disciples, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now these texts that we find in the Bible, I'm not making them up. I can point them to you. They're there in the Bible. They are telling us about the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is the only mediator. He's the only go-between, between sinful mankind and a holy God. There is but one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And friends, our problem, we cannot deal with it. Religion cannot deal with it. Don't think for one moment that religion can deal with this problem. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can, can deal with it. He's the only one. Why is He the only one? He's the only one who paid the price for our sins on Calvary's tree. We have to understand His person and His work. He is God in the flesh. And therefore, He was able to live a perfect life. Absolutely. He never sinned. He never uttered a wrong word. He never had a wrong thought. And He never ever performed a wrong deed. He was completely and utterly the only person that ever lived a perfect life. And because of that, at the end of his life, he was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Now, why had he got to offer a perfect sacrifice? Well, the wages of sin is death. When we break God's law, there is a penalty incurred. And that penalty is quite simply death. But the Lord Jesus Christ was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice to pay the price of our sins. He paid the penalty. The penalty was death. He paid it. But He Himself was not a sinner. He was without sin. But He became sin on behalf of others. Now here is where it affects us. We are to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel is proclaimed for, in order that you might put your faith and your hope and your trust upon Jesus Christ. Because believing upon Him, what happens? Well, we receive His righteousness. And He takes our sins. He has paid for our sins and the price of them on Calvary's tree. And when we believe upon Him, His righteousness is imputed unto us. So that when God looks upon the believer, the true believer upon the Lord Jesus Christ, He doesn't see the believer's wickedness. He sees Christ's righteousness. This is the great exchange where our sins have been imputed unto Christ. 
and Christ's righteousness is given unto us. Now, there is something you must do. You must repent and believe the gospel. You must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe upon this person. You must call upon him. And he's the only one who can save you because he's the only one who has dealt with our greatest problem, that of our sins. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and it's a pleasure and privilege to be here this afternoon in order to be able to speak something concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, and when you come to the police station, opposite the police station, if you go up the hill there, yes, I know it's quite a steep hill, but if you go up that hill, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and then we're next door at the crossroads at Two Thornwood Terrace. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along. We meet on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday, at 11 a.m. And again, we meet in the early evening at 6. And we also have a, a midweek meeting at Wednesday at 7.30. And again, a warm welcome to you to come along to these meetings. We're going to take a short break, and we pray the Lord would bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're pleased that you're able to join us on our open-air witness on Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. We're a local congregation. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, just up Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, opposite the police station, you'll find a, a hill there. If you go up that hill, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and then you'll meet our building on the crossroads next to it. We extend a warm welcome to you all. We meet on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m., and we have an early evening service at 6 p.m. And we also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30. And again, we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along. But in the meantime, as you're passing by, we hope that you'll accept a gospel tract. We have one or two individuals out who are handing out some gospel tracts. Please take a tract there. You'll find our contact details. And we give you this in order that you might realize that we are a genuine Christian congregation. And we're not fly-by-night cowboys. We are genuine. We're here. We're local. And we want you to know our contact details should you want to come and visit us. And also there is an invitation that if you would like a copy of the Scriptures, then we would be happy to provide one for you if you just make contact. But we want to impress upon you for a few moments this afternoon something concerning the, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ 
who is the very center of Christianity. And without Christ, there is no Christianity whatsoever. And therefore, who is this person? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't take your theology or your teaching from anything but the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us a lot about the Savior. And that surely is, to put it very mildly, because in reality the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're all saturated with the Lord Jesus Christ about the Son of God who came down from heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. And I want to read one or two verses from Paul's letter to the Philippians. You might not know much about the Philippians, but you know, friends, the gospel first came to Europe when the Apostle Paul went and preached the gospel in a place called Philippi. And here we are in Scotland, in Glasgow, and that same gospel has come here. And what he said to these Philippians in a letter that he wrote to them after he had formed the church. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 onwards, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here is the Apostle Paul giving us a brief but yet concise description of the Son of God, of that one who came down from heaven. And what does he say about the Savior? Well, he says many things, but he says, who being in the form of God. In other words, the Son of God became the Son of Man, and He was the eternally begotten Son of God, and He still is the eternally begotten Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And if you want to know what God is like, study the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, because there he reveals what God is like. He is God in the flesh. But in order to save and in order to work out a salvation, what does it say? Thought it not robbery to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And therefore, when he came into this world, no one would know that he was God in the flesh. He was no different from any other man that walked about at that particular time. There was nothing unusual about his outward appearance. In other words, he veiled his glory. He did not reveal his glory, but he was God in the flesh. And he humbled himself, we're told. 
and he took upon him the form of a servant. He became the Lord's servant. He served his father. And in order to serve his father, he did everything that was required in order to save his people. His will was in complete harmony with the will of God. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, the Lord Jesus, being the eternally begotten Son of God, came to this world, lived in poverty, took upon himself the form of a servant, and humbled himself even to the point that he died on a cross. You know, if you were a Roman and you were a criminal, you wouldn't be put on a cross. It was considered too vile a death. The Romans kept crucifixion for the most notorious and vile of criminals. And that's what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified. It was a horrible, horrible, painful death. He would have been nailed to the cross. The cross would have been on the ground. And Christ would have been tied to the cross around his waist. Then he would have been nailed, his hands and his feet would have been nailed to this cross. And then the cross would have been lifted up and it would have been put in a hole in the ground, and there he would be on the cross. And it was a most cruel death because none of his vital organs were, would be damaged. And therefore it was anticipated that he would die a very slow and a very painful death. It was the worst death that you could possibly imagine. And as I said earlier, if you were a Roman, this would not happen to you. It was reserved for the, the scum of the earth. And that's what Jesus underwent. That's what he went through. Not because he was a sinner. Not because he was a criminal. Not because he was a vile person. But because he was offering up himself as a once for all perfect sacrifice to satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. But do you know, friends, you maybe know something about the crucifixion. You maybe don't know why he was crucified. You might know about the act, but maybe the actual reason behind it, you're maybe not so sure, or you don't know why. You can't understand why the Son of God had to become the Son of Man and he had to suffer and die in this way. Well, he had to do this because sin demands punishment. And the penalty for sin is death. And God is inflexible. Oh, there's someone laughing there. But that's true, friends. That's why we all die. It is because we're sinners. That's why we die. That's why we have natural death. There would be no death in this world. 
There would be no suffering. There would be no tears, no sickness, none of the things that blight mankind if it were not for sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and He has dealt with this great problem. And God is so seriously against sin that He must punish it because it is offensive unto Him. And that's why Jesus had to die as He did. Because He was offering up a sacrifice to pay the price for sin. Not His sin, because He knew no sin, but for the sins of His people. And you see, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You may well have heard about the crucifixion, but now surely you've heard something about why he had to die. He was actually doing something. His death was achieving something. He was meeting the demands of God. He was satisfying God's justice there as he offered up his own perfect sacrifice of himself. Now, this has some bearing upon us this afternoon because we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. We've all like sheep, we've all gone astray, the Bible says. And all our good deeds, how are they described? How does God describe all our good works? They are but filthy rags in His sight. The only thing that He will accept is the sacrifice of Christ. That's the only thing that will take away sin. And that's the only thing that will take away your sin and my sin. It is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we believe upon Him, we receive His righteousness. That's what the Bible says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it brings. It brings peace with God. Why? Because our sins have been cleansed. The slate has been wiped clean only because Jesus has paid the price in our room and in our place. Now I put it to you this afternoon. Would you not like to have peace with God? Or you might say, well, I'm okay. I don't have any problem. Well, I would debate with you over that. I do believe that you do have a problem. And that problem will manifest itself at different times in your life. I put it to you that you have a guilty conscience. And I put it to you, you don't want to meet God. And you don't want to have any dealings with God. Why? Because you have a guilty conscience. And this conscience is all about the fact that we have sinned and come short of His glory. For the Bible says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we fall short of God's standards, we have this guilty conscience. It's something that's in the back of our minds and it will manifest itself on occasions. 
it will manifest itself maybe when you're ill, when you're on maybe a sick bed, and you've got time to think, you're not able to go about your normal duties and activities, and you have some time in your hands, and you begin to think about your own mortality. What's going to happen to me when I pass on? Where will I go? These are the things that confront you and cause you to have a troubled conscience. Or maybe on another occasion, when you lose someone, a loved one, someone passes into eternity and you're left behind. Maybe a husband, maybe a wife, maybe a mother or father, a brother, maybe a child even. Very often death speaks its own sermon. Does it not? It reminds us that we're all mortal. And one day we'll leave this world and we'll leave everything that we prize, all our possessions, we will leave them all. And where will we go? How will we fare? Because that day we'll meet God. Therefore I tell you, your conscience is troubled on occasions like that. And you don't have peace with God. But, friends, here's a way that you can have peace with God. How can you have peace with God? The only way that you can have peace with God is when your sins are forgiven. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let me ask you this. Would you not like to have peace with God? Peace with your Creator? Peace with that one that you will meet one day? Peace with that one who is your lawgiver and judge? Friends, this is what the gospel gives to us. It gives us real peace. Why? Because our sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. What a blessing. What a glory. What a privilege to be able to say this. This is what the gospel brings. It turns the sinner into a saint. It turns the person who by nature is offensive to God, yet he is adopted into the family of the living God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And therefore, friends, we come out this afternoon and we speak to young and old, we speak to men and women, we tell you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you are to repent and believe the gospel. You know, when the Apostle Paul was preaching to the Athenians, to the wise people of Athens, he presented the gospel and then he gave them the challenge and he told them the truth that God commands all men everywhere to repent. And therefore, this gospel call and this gospel command of God goes forth on Buchanan Street, Glasgow, on the 17th of February, 2023, to all who hear, God commands all men everywhere to repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to turn away from your sins. Turn away from them, friends. That's what's required in the gospel. What are my sins, you might say. I'm not a sinner, you might say to me. Well, if you say that, you certainly don't agree with the Word of God because the Bible says, For there is no difference 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no difference. We're all sinners. And furthermore, let me read one or two verses from the first epistle of John. What does he say? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Read it for yourselves. Take up your Bibles and read it. Let me repeat. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we're here this afternoon and we're saying that we're not sinners and we don't need a Savior, we are simply deceiving ourselves. And we are saying that the truth is not in us because this is truth. This is God's truth. This is God's Word that He has given to us and preserved for us for our edification. And that is what He says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And that would remind us about what the Old Testament says about our hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's telling us we really don't know ourselves. We really don't know what kind of natures that we have. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That is not just the heart of the, of the pedophile or the heart of the rapist. That's the heart of every single one of us. That is God's verdict upon our hearts this afternoon. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And therefore, if we're saying to ourselves that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And we are simply denying the truth of the Word of God. But then John goes on in verse 9 of the same chapter, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, do you not see the gospel there then? Do you not see the mercy and the grace of God if we confess our sins? This is what we're to do when we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to acknowledge. We are to raise our hands. We are to say, yes, we are sinners. God's Word has found us out. We have broken God's law. We are sinners. That's what we're meant to understand. But here we have, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God will forgive our sins. God will forgive the sins of the penitent. That's why we tell people that they must repent. When they hear the gospel, it's required of them that they repent, that they forsake their sins, that they forsake their idolatry, that, that they forsake their Sabbath-breaking, that they forsake their blasphemy, that they forsake their lying, that they forsake their cheating, that they forsake their stealing, that they forsake their adultery, that they forsake their fornication and homosexuality, 
That's what's required. That's what repentance means. It means to turn away from sins. And the sins I've mentioned are obvious sins. They're outward sins. But nevertheless, we have internal or spiritual sins, and we are to forsake them also. We are to forsake our pride, our lust, our jealousy, our critical spirit, our lack of love. We are to forsake all of these sins. And we are to embrace the gospel as it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means we are to believe upon the Lord Jesus. We are to cry out to Him. We are to believe that He is the Son of God and that He came down to this world in order to seek and to save that which was lost. We are to believe that He is the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And if Jesus will not save you, if Jesus doesn't save you, no one can save you. Muhammad cannot save you. Buddha cannot save you. Confucius cannot save you. The Jehovah Witnesses cannot save you. The Mormons cannot save you. The Roman Catholic Church cannot save you. No church can save you. No minister of the gospel. Only Jesus Christ can save. That's why we point you to Him. We're not proclaiming ourselves. We're pointing you to the Lord Jesus Christ that you might have Him as your Lord and Savior. And again, we'll read from 1 John, this time from verse 1 of verse 10 of chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. You know, there are many people today, and they'll say, well, I'm not a sinner. What does this verse tell us? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. When you say you haven't sinned, you are, are in effect saying God is a liar. What a terrible thing to say. But that is what the Bible says. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Friends, we are to humble ourselves. We are to accept God's verdict. We are to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as He has freely offered to you in the gospel. You are to call upon Him. Time is short, is it not? Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is the problem. And Christ is the cure. There you have it, basically. You know, you can reject and run away from the claims of Christ all your life. But the day will come when you cannot run any further. The day will come when the Savior that we are proclaiming to you, you will meet Him. You will meet Him one day. You will see Him with your own eyes as you see everybody else around about you here this afternoon. The day will come when you will have an audience with King Jesus. How will you fare on that day then? 
Therefore, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. A terrible day is coming. A day of perfect divine judgment is coming. We cannot hide from it. Friends, turn therefore. This is the day of grace. This is the day when full and free salvation is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is our great hope. This is the one that we commend to you this afternoon. And you know the Apostle Paul who wrote these words that I just quoted. Do you know what he went on to say? Of whom I am the chief. He was acknowledging that he was the chief of sinners. Notice, friends, too, the language. Notice the grammar. He is not saying he was the chief of sinners. That's true, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, of whom I am the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul, therefore, is recognizing that even as the great Apostle Paul, he was still the chief of sinners. And he was still recognizing his great need of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one we recommend to you and commend to you this afternoon. And you must hear about him. That's why we come out. Because you won't hear about him in the pub. And you won't hear about him in the amusement halls or the bingo halls or the shopping malls. You won't hear about the authentic Jesus even in some Christian churches that's why we come out. In order for the sh few moments that you pass by, we might be enabled to tell you something sincerely, honestly, truthfully about the authentic Jesus that's found in the Word of God. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation. We're a registered Scottish charity. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, you'll come to the police station. And opposite the police station, go up that hill there, You'll come, first of all, to Thornwood Primary School, and you'll find our building next door at the crossroads. We meet on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, at 11 a.m. on Sunday, and again at 6 p.m. in the early evening. And we do extend a sincere warm welcome to you to come along. It could well be that you've never been to a Christian place of worship before. If that's the case, then please feel free to come along and join with us. Or maybe you haven't been to church for 
a considerable amount of time. And very often, to start to go back to church can be a big move. We understand that. Please come along. No obligation. You will not be asked to do anything. Just come along and take part in the worship of God and hear what we have to say about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very sum and substance of Christianity. Now, earlier on, I read one or two verses from Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we read from verse 6 onwards, and that verses there speak about the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, we acknowledge that He came down from heaven, and He, in doing so, He humbled Himself and condescended. The great Creator Himself, the Son of God, became like one of His creatures. And He lived in poverty for around 30 years. You know, He said, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. The Lord Jesus Christ, He possessed no possessions, none whatsoever. And therefore, He truly humbled Himself. And He humbled Himself to the extent that He went to the cross and suffered an ignominious death, a horrific, horrible, cruel, painful death. It was the ultimate act of humiliation in that world at that time. And that's what Jesus underwent. But you know, friends, all of these things are history. They are historical facts. And yes, He suffered. And yes, He died. And yes, He was taken down from the cross. And He was put in a sealed tomb. And there He was on Friday night, all day Saturday. But on the first day of the week, He arose. What a day that was. Glorious day that was. When He came out of the grave, when He uh, broke the bands of death, death could no longer hold Him. And now, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ has entered into His estate of exaltation. His days of humiliation are all over. No one now will spit upon the Lord Jesus Christ. No one now will put a crown of thorns upon Him. No one now will pin Him to the cross, for all of these things are behind Him. Now He has ascended, and He has been glorified and exalted, and now He is in heaven, waiting for that day when He shall return. And here's what Paul says concerning the exaltation of Christ. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven 
and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glorious picture is being presented there to us of the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You see, he came to this world and he undertook a mercy mission. And he carried out that mission absolutely perfectly. And therefore, he was rewarded. And he was glorified. And he was exalted. And he's now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And you know what, friends? This might surprise you. But he's the one who is on the throne of the universe. And he is ordering and directing, ruling and overruling all things. It is him who appoints kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and first ministers. And when they have served his purpose they are replaced by others. And we notice that even this week in our own little nation here. Last week, who would have thought that the First Minister would have resigned? Well, it happened. Why? Because she had served the Lord's purpose. And in due time, the Lord will appoint another First Minister, who in turn will serve the purposes of King Jesus. This is the one that we proclaim to you therefore this afternoon, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, there's going to come a day when you will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You might live today any way you like. You might live in open rebellion against Christ and His cause. And you might think that you're serving your own will, and to a certain extent, that is true. But the day will come, whenever it will, we do not know, but that day will come when you will meet King Jesus, and you will give account, and you will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will bow the knee before Christ. You will acknowledge Him to be the only begotten Son of God and the only Savior of God's elect. You will acknowledge that there is none like Him. You will bow the knee, whether by grace or by compulsion, it matters not. That day will come. And therefore we we ask you, friends, to face up to reality. Face up to the facts as they truly are. 
Why do you not embrace Christ today? While it is the day of salvation, while it is the day of grace, why don't you call upon him? He's the Savior. He will receive all who will come to him. What a glorious promise. Is that not true? Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. The prophet says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, and be clear, he's not speaking about himself. He is speaking about the Savior, and there's only one Savior. The Savior is Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. He says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And he's telling you to look unto him. And why are you to look unto him? You're to look unto him to be saved. Why do I need to be saved, you might say. I'm all right, am I not? I'm a good person, am I not? Will God not accept me as I am? Is that not true? Is that not what you're saying? No, friends, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible does not hold out any hope that God will accept any of us because our own righteousness is but filthy rags. That's why the Bible says, and we take our teachings from God's Word, the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We've not reached the level. We've not reached the standard set by Almighty God. And Almighty God has set that standard. Why? Because He is our Creator. We have been made in the image of God. And He made us just like Him. Originally, our first parents were perfect, but they sinned. And because they sinned, we sinned. We inherited their sinful nature. And we sin because we have a sinful nature. We don't sin and then we have a sinful nature. No, it's the other way around. We sin because we have a sinful nature. And all that we, can, all we do is tainted with sin. Even our best works are tainted with sin. A little bit of poison will pollute the whole drink. Is that not true? Of course it is. And therefore, because we have a sinful nature and we might try to do good things, but nevertheless, these good things are not good because we have a sinful nature. And therefore, we have a real, real problem. And a problem that we cannot deal with ourselves. And because of the depravity of sin, we don't want to deal with it. We're happy in our sin. We like sin. We, d we love it. That's what it is by nature to us. We delight in it. But as the Bible goes on to say, friends, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, sin promises so much. Sin promises so much. But oh, there's a sting in the tail with sin. It's death. 
You know, the adulterer loves to commit adultery. He loves this. Or the thief loves to steal. He loves it. But ultimately, there's a price for sin that has to be paid. The thief might get off with it here in this world. And the adulterer and the fornicator, he or she might get off with their sin in this world. No one might say a word to them, but there's a day coming when God will call to mind all their sins. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, God has the answer to our greatest predicament, our greatest problem, a problem that we don't recognize and a problem that we don't want to face up to. But if it's not dealt with, friends, what will happen? We will find ourselves in a lost eternity. What does that mean? Well, it means, ultimately, that we'll go to that terrible place the Bible talks about called hell. (laughs) Do you know, the Bible talks about two places that we will go to at the end. We will go to one of these two places. One place is called heaven. Yes, I'm sure you've all heard of heaven. And I'm quite sure that many of you hold out a hope that on that day you'll be found in heaven. You don't want to say that, my dear. You don't want to say no one laughs in hell. No one laughs in hell, I can assure you. You want to do everything you can to avoid that place because hell is a place of torment. It's a place of endless punishment. It's a place of no escape. And it's a place that has been reserved for the devil and for his angels. And it's a terrible, terrible place. A place of darkness. A place of agony. And Jesus Christ has come in order that we might escape the pains of hell. He has provided a way whereby we might be found in heaven. How can we be found in heaven? The only way to be in heaven is to have Christ as our Lord and Savior to take us there. He himself did say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No man cometh to heaven. No man will be in glory. No man will be in peace and happiness unless they have Christ as their Lord and Savior. Salvation is found in none else, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friends, we must be saved. And we cannot save ourselves. There's only one who can save, and that's the Savior. That's what His name means. Thou shalt call... His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. That's what He does. That's what He's still doing. That's His great work, even in heaven. That's why He sends out gospel preachers to preach the message of the cross, that you might put your faith and hope and trust upon Him. 
for time and for eternity. It's been good to be with you this afternoon, friends. We're going to draw our time to a close. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing with a local charity, a local congregation, and we bid you a warm welcome to come to our services. We hold them on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. or Wednesday evening at 7.30. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now thy Creator, then, friends. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So may God be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon.